0: It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Fired up today because today we're introducing video as well. Man, how about that? How you
1: like dim apples? Nice. Well, I don't know about everybody watching right now because they might be going like, "Ooh, let me just go back to the audio part." Mm, hey. You know that was much better. I didn't have to look at you guys. Ooh, this is man. this is way better. But uh, you got a face
0: for radio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to our shops. I'm glad you guys are here. Man, we got a show for you today because. We're talking, you know, with one of the industry leaders. Aeromotive has always been in that fueling game, you know, fuel pumps, regulators. Um, if you're a you know, if you're a racer, if you got a fast car, chances are you know these guys very well, whether it's inline, in tank, T style, mechanical, they got a pump to fit whatever your application is, ways to get it there. Um, and today's modern horsepower, dude, it's uh it's a must. So I'm excited to talk to uh, Brett and get the get the game on. But first, man, I gotta know, Bird, what's What's behind you?
1: Oh, yeah. I got a couple behind me. Oh, yeah, I got a...
0: What is that? oh
1: 65 Fastback. All kind of cut up and chopped up, ready to get kind of nasty. So that's yeah, that one. Uh, and I got another 70 fastback sitting over here. That one's all painted, ready to kind of get built. And I see you got something in the background over there, too.
0: Um,
1: I got a whole lot of motocross and drag
0: racing trophies and... Uh, one of uh, several Mopars or old school hot rods you'll see probably in the shadows there. That's the '70 Roadrunner. We actually had that on the show. Maybe towards the end of the podcast, Kevin will remind uh, remind you guys what you what you might have missed behind the scenes. That's always a pretty funny topic of conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have to stick around for that one. It's pretty good. It's one of yeah. Willie's f- early early episodes on Two Guys Garage, and he showed <laughs> up to the party. ready to play i I give tons of credit so stories at the end (laughs) um
0: now let's talk let's talk fueling your car man for so many of us you know it started out as that was one of the big improvements we started going up in horsepower you had to get more fuel uh more fuel more air uh more horsepower and man the guys we're speaking of today aeromotive have been in that game for so long and they're a must on so many of my cars i probably got you know me man i got a pretty good collection of old hot rods and you know old big blocks sitting out in the shop and majority of fuel pumps you're going to see uh on the frame rails or in the in the tanks or you know are branded aeromotive i I really rely on these guys heavily and i'm i'm glad we're able to talk to them on the podcast and see what's new what's going on and what's happening in their world because it's it's changing just
1: like everything else oh man things have been progressing i mean you go back in the day you know you had a big mechanical fuel pump uh you know the electric pumps that you'd you know, mount somewhere. They make a lot of noise uh, and mm-hmm. things have just progressed from there. We got a lot of in-tank and I think Aeromotive, kind of one of the pioneers for getting uh really cool options for, let's say, how to easily modify a tank for a drop-in in-tank solution. You know, they run cooler, they're quieter, you know, you get a lot more life out of them that way. Uh, so what an awesome development, but they haven't stopped. Every time I turn around, they've got a different style of pump and, you know, I'm pretty excited. We touched on it. It's probably been at least two years or more, we talked about their, uh, their brushless
2: gear yeah. like pump.
1: So, you know, I've forgotten a lot of what we talked about before, and I haven't gotten one in my hands to really kind of sink it in. So I think we'll touch base on that and regulators, right? There's so many different systems on how to set up a regulator, and I think a lot of people get confused. So... We're going to break all that down and simplify it. we got Brett Clow from Aeromotive, man. Brett, thanks for joining us. This is going to be awesome. He's the technical director at Aeromotive. I've worked with him over the years, uh, so it's great to have him. You know, it's kind of that expert advice on on how to set up a system right. Hey, guys. Hey, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, how long have you been at Aeromotive now? Um, I don't know if I want to actually admit to that. It's been over
0: 20 <laughs> years. Let's put it that way. Uh, that's a hey, <laughs> yeah. That's a good. That's a good path. But you know, quick question for you, man. Being there, you got to yeah. see all this evolution and in, in how to get the fuel where you need it inside that engine. For you guys, it's got to be you know kind of a wild ride watching all these. You know, Kevin mentioned these you know frame uh, sort of mounted um inline pumps yeah. I, i've still got several of them yeah. on a couple of my old chargers out in the, out in the shop because right. they've not stopped working they're nitrous cars they provide all the all the power yeah. i need they they're reliable and i just you know i i know they're they're always working so i've not even upgraded a few of mine even though i've had them for you know a decade plus they just keep working
2: you know, this is it, and it it has been a wild ride because, I mean, I, the A1000 pump when we first came out with our high performance fuel pump supporting a thousand horsepower, it was kind of like the 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 pipe dream for most people who were building a hot rod to make a thousand horsepower. <laughs> yeah. We're at a point today where if somebody calls us and says they're not making a thousand horsepower like, at least, <laughs> we're we're like, oh, what's wrong? Yeah, you know, you better it, catch it's up. Just it's just amazing how how things have changed and and we've been driven by this demand for increasing horsepower and the fuel that's needed to support that and and you know it's really uh, we're we're somewhat the 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 tail of the dog wags right i mean people come to us and they're like well we're making this extra more 500 more a thousand more two thousand more i mean when we came out with our first mechanical fuel pump which was a six gallon a minute mechanical pump g rotor style um and, and we were putting it on a couple of cars that were making like 17 1800 horsepower on gasoline and those were crazy numbers we were we we're like my goodness what a six gallon a minute pump now we have five gallon seven gallon and ten gallon a minute electric pumps that are actually driven by yeah. an electric motor so yeah it's it's wild All right, so hold that thought because we're going to dive
0: into each of those and those crazy applications and what people are needing and demanding out there. Quick break it's the Two Guys Garage podcast. Kevin Byrne, Willie B., and we're back after the break. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B, and we are speaking with our buddy Brett. He is a technical director at Air Motive. Now, everybody knows Air Motive for a lot of reasons. You know, when it comes to fueling your car, getting that gas, that fuel, whether it's you know premium unleaded, race gas, E85, or you know methanol, getting it into that engine where we want it, man, that's a much more demanding task than what you may you may think. Um, especially when you're te- talking all these high horsepower combinations, um, all these crazy. You know, evolutions of the fuel pump. Let's start out with some of the old school stuff, like you, you kind of see behind me, you know, big block, you know, with a little bit of nitrous, talking of, you know, 700 horsepower style car, um, running your on the frame type pump. You know, those are kind of a dying breed nowadays, but uh, obviously something you cut your teeth on and still very proud of in the industry because they've worked for, for, for so long and uh, have been so good.
2: You know, I, I'll tell you a quick uh, anecdotal story. I had a guy call me. Um, years ago actually and and he said i have an a1000 pump and um i'd really like to send it in and have you guys check it out and maybe rebuild it and i said okay um what's going on with it and he goes well nothing really (laughs) and i said okay you know we would be happy to take a look at it for you but is there i mean is there any reason you really need to send it in and he goes well I've got a hundred thousand miles on it and I'd really like to have it checked out. (laughs) And I said, okay, well, that was exciting. Right. And we, it was really cool. We ended up having him send the pump in with a couple of filters and we, we said, look, you know, uh, if you can give us a testimonial, we'll, we'll write a little article, do a quarter page or a half page ad with your car in it. We'll take the pump. We'll take it to SEMA. And we had it at SEMA on display for years because it's just emblematic of the quality that we build into the product, and what he had done, which is what we ask everybody to do, is put the system together the way we request. Use our filters, use our regulator, use the rec- recommended size line. And if you do that, you can get tremendous results. And he had, and we were happy to acknowledge yeah, that. That my, was fun.
0: My main street car, you know, eight, eight 83 at the rear tires on the street tune, a little bit more on the race tune the last time yep. I had it on a dyno. And that, that thing has been on a you know an air motor pump, I think, now for nine, 10 years. And I wear it out every
1: season, man. I'm out there banging on it, just driving the hell out of it. You know,
2: that's great.
1: That's pretty impressive, you know, from the pump side and the vehicle to get a hundred thousand miles. I assume you had some kind of hot rod. You know, I dream of getting a hundred thousand miles on a hot rod, you know, living up North in the (laughs) snow (laughs) and, you know, very short summers that doesn't help at all. But uh, I could tell
2: you so many anecdotal stories. It's so much fun. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's, isn't that the dream, right? Everybody wants a car that goes fast, and they can drive on the street, and that's reliable and dependable. I mean, it's the it's the best of all it really worlds. Is.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, you talked about the the filtration. Why why are here? Mm-hmm. Why don't you hit us up yeah. real quick and remind everybody what type of pre filter and post filter that you guys recommend? What size? Sure. How many microns?
2: Well, uh, so from a micron rating, and this is a good question, right? Microns is half the equation. The other half the equation is. How many inches of surface area do you have on the element at that micron rating? So to answer the first part of the question, pre-filters need to be coarse. They need to be high flow. They're rock screens. Fundamentally, they're designed to keep the big stuff out of the pump. And what we don't want is something that's going to restrict the flow on the suction side of the pump. Power pumps can make tremendous amount of vacuum but vacuum is not friendly to liquid and especially a liquid that's unstable like gasoline so when you have a restrictive element on the suction side of a pump and it's making a lot of vacuum to get fuel it's going to be prone to hot fuel handling and vapor lock problems because in a vacuum fuel goes to vapor at a much lower temperature so we recommend a hundred micron stainless element we have at this point i can count five different hundred micron elements that go from small to 16 an right from 3 8 pipe to an 16 the right filter is going to be the one that we recommend in our system diagrams on our website for that particular pump it's going to be sized so that it's invisible to the pump it can flow all the fuel the pump can pump it can protect it without restricting it on the pressure side of the pump we're going to run depends uh, carbureted normally a 40 micron filter is fine enough and by the way Micron rating is confusing. People think of it as like microscopic and sometimes they'll mistake the hundred micron number to be finer than the 10, but it's actually the opposite. A uh, hundred micron filter will stop theoretically particles that are 100 micron in diameter and larger than a 99 micron particle would pass through. Whereas a 10 micron or a 40 micron filter is going to stop those smaller particles and let them, you know, let the smaller ones go through, but stop the bigger ones. So we go, 100 on the suction side, 40 on the pressure side for carbureted. And on the EFI stuff, we go down to 10 micron, which is 10 times finer than 100. Because we're trying to protect that sensitive fuel injector and that mechanism to keep it from sticking or clogging up or the screens in the injectors from loading up and denying the fuel to to a particular cylinder.
1: Well, you made a great point about the suction side. And and that's kind of one of the drivers for pushing the pump closer and closer and getting it actually in the tank. Is you're mm-hmm. reducing how much restriction that pump is trying to pull because they can push all day, but yep. suction of any pump can be limited, right, and cause cavitation and other issues like you mentioned. So, you know we've got these, you know, A1000s. I think we've all put in vehicles over the over time, and they're awesome. Uh, yep. But you know, as we migrate, as we get smarter, better, as the hardware is available, getting that pump in the tank is just one more step towards you know eliminating any possible issues.
2: Well, reliability, again, is, is at the forefront of consideration. And, um, I mean, you look at the OEM world, and you're just not going to see a new vehicle with a pump that's not in the tank. And it really boils down to reliability, you know. Sometimes I'll talk to people, and they'll ask me, well, I want a pump that can go outside the tank. And, I'm, and I'll i ask them why. And they'll say, well, because I don't want to have to hassle with getting the tank down to replace the pump. And I'm like, well, that's a fair that's a fair consideration, but, how many more times do you want to replace the pump if it's outside the tank than if it's inside the tank.
1: Right. It's like, hot out there.
2: It's like, well, I never really thought about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, not well, happy
1: you, yeah. you would think, well, I wouldn't want to put it in the gasoline, but you know what? A pump is pretty happy in the gasoline,
0: you know? Yeah. Both you guys say that like you've never owned a 2004 314 Dodge Durango, <laughs> which everybody knows you got to replace that fuel pump right. about every year and a half. Yeah, well,
2: and, <laughs> and unfortunately, gasoline is changed over the years, and some of those old pumps, darn, they don't like the new modern gasoline either. So that's always a challenge, and we've had to adapt mm-hmm. to that over the years too.
0: That brings up another question. So many cars, I've got a, you know, a 67 Barracuda in the shop back there, 527 cubic inch big block, oh, but yeah. it runs on E85. Mm-hmm. Now, E85 does a lot of damage if you're not ready for it uh, to the lines and most definitely the pump. Um, talk oh, a little bit about
2: That's a big curveball. Yeah. For for fuel for fuel delivery because of, of the reasons you just mentioned right the the corrosion uh, aspects of alcohol versus gasoline right um, and when you put ethanol into a tank that's been in gasoline for years um, what the first thing it's going to do is is strip all of that shellac that's accumulated on the inside of the tank and that's going through the pumps that's going through the filters and clogging the filters up but E85 is another big deal in that you burn 30 percent more fuel for the same power on ethanol as you do on gasoline. And that was a mm-hmm. major force in in driving us to develop more and bigger and higher flow fuel pumps because the flow volume required to make the same power is thirty percent more on E eighty five. So yeah, there's lots of driving uh forces and aspects of what keeps us on our toes, if you will.
1: Well, speaking of driving, all this fuel, right? Between all the horsepower and especially, you said, E85, where you need that much and more, 30% more. uh, It's driven you into different types of pumps. Uh, So uh, the latest and greatest seems to be from you guys, the the brushless type series. Can you explain the evolution into that? And and what are the why buys for stepping up to that type of pump? Sure.
2: Well, um, I guess there's a couple of aspects, right? Number one just the, the the raw volume required, right? When we came out with our five-gallon-a-minute brushless gear pump, it was like, holy mackerel, that's huge. <laughs> that is so much flow. And it really is. It's a tremendous amount of flow. And that's now in the middle of a group of three-and-a-half, five-and-seven-and-ten-gallon-a-minute brushless pumps. Though. Hey, Brett,
0: can you explain for somebody that may not quite fully understand how much fuel we're talking um can you give us a garden <laughs> hose reference um, or a a like I, I feel like some people just don't quite understand how much fuel that is actually moving when you say you know uh, that number five gallons for per, per minute uh, that's an insane amount of fuel it's just like nuts. Uh, I, it
2: really is I mean i I had one of my, one of the our clients who's who, who I won't name but who does some really good carburetor stuff a lot of blow through carburetors big horsepower stuff and they he I sent him a five gallon a minute pump just for his flow bench and he just hooked the hose up to it and he runs mineral spirits and he says I just I just left the the other end of the hose open and turned it on and he said Jesus it shot clear across the shop (laughs) it was (laughs) like a fire hose yeah he was amazed at how much flow comes out of that full
0: bore you know with your foot on it that's a five gallon bucket in a minute yep that's exactly you
2: know? right. If, That's exactly. If right.
0: you if you're thinking about just you know, take take out your five-gallon bucket. How long does it take you to fill up with your garden hose? <laughs> right. Well, I guarantee it's longer than a minute. Yeah, no We're doubt. In, right. And a fuel pump is doing that for a car, consuming all of that <sighs> in, in in a pass, in a run, in a minute. So it's amazing to think about what these small fuel pumps are actually doing when he gives numbers like, you know, five gallons, seven gallons, ten gallons a minute. It's, it's really unbelievable the volume and how much force is behind it. Yeah.
2: Well, and then the pressures too, as they go up, but, um, just to, just to kind of give you the, the, so what, what happened is we're, we're developing a line of spur gear, mechanical pumps to meet the horsepower requirements. And, the, the, of course, methanol has changed things as well, right? So you take a gasoline burning engine, you go to ethanol, you burn 30% more, you go to methanol. Now you've doubled the fuel consumption from ethanol to methanol for the same power. So if it takes one gallon a minute to do it on gasoline, it takes 1.3 gallons a minute to make the same power on ethanol. And it takes 2.6 gallons a minute to make that same power on methanol. And of course, as we go up in fuel and octane, we make more and more and more power. So we're doing these big spur gear pumps for the big pro mods and the, and the, and the, the uh, alcohol funny cars and la-di-da. And we're, we're like, This spur gear stuff is really solid. It's really reliable. It's kind of noisy, but man, it makes so much volume. And we're like, can we take that and and evolve that into an electric driven pump? And when you start moving that much volume, the amount of work you're doing is is a ton. And the motor to drive, I mean, on our flow bench for our medium to smaller mechanical pumps, we run a, a five horse, three phase electric motor. Well, if you can imagine what a five-horse, 12-volt electric motor looks like, it's like 45, 50 pounds. I mean, there's no way you're going to put that on a, on a pump and put it in your car. It's ridiculous. So how do we take that spur gear pumping mechanism and drive that thing with something that's reasonably packaged, small, lighter weight, and keep the current draw from going you know, off the chart? And the brushless motor technology was the key to that. So we were able to take a a pumping mechanism that can move a lot of fuel, develop a motor that had enough torque, enough balls to run that motor, Hmm. run that pumping mechanism, and keep the current draw from getting insane. And that was really, I mean, it was all about finding technology to take it to the next level, and it was the brushless motor that was a part of that.
0: Yeah, anybody that's owned an RC car in the last five to ten years, uh, when it, remember those little nitro methane cars oh, that yeah. people would try to fire up <laughs> oh, and rumble? Yeah. And I had some. I show up my brushless, yeah, my brushless. I did run seventy miles Rid- an hour in circles around those guys, <laughs> right? Or the first time you saw the brushless, you got your DeWalt or your Rigid tool or whatever. First time you got that brushless drill, and it's like. Beep! You're like, whoa, there's something with yeah, this. Yeah, they're
1: pretty amazing. Man, yeah, can you imagine back in the day if you wanted to run a gear pump that hard to run a little nitro motor instead of a brushless motor to drive <laughs> your fuel pump? <laughs> That's probably a bad idea, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. right. All, all kinds of bad. Yeah, of bad. definitely, <laughs> definitely. So thank God for the brushless. So what kind of amperage does it require to run these things now?
2: Well, it varies depending on the pump. So the worst case scenario, for example, the our, our biggest brushless gear pump which is the 10 gallon a minute pump at 100 psi is going to draw 60 amps
0: 60
2: amps it's moving nine and a half gallons a minute at 100 psi and still just drawing 60 amps so it's it's pretty amazing yeah
0: yeah that is kind of nuts when you think about it wow wow All right, so let's take a break. We come back more with Brett, Technical Director, Aeromotive. Find them online. You gotta love these guys, what they're doing for all kinds of fuel delivery, any application. More on it in just a minute. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. We're back after the break. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B, and we have our man Brett. He's the technical director from Aeromotive Fuel Pumps. You gotta love what Aeromotive has done for, uh, you know, not just racing, but all types and applications and everything from crazy fast race cars and pro mods and and street cars to, you know, everything in between muscle cars, modern muscle. It's amazing what, you know, what you're seeing out on the street nowadays. And I'm sure you guys have
2: followed. You're absolutely right. And this is the thing too, that the OEM has led in so many ways you know, you look at the evolution of a Mod Motor Ford engine. You look at the evolution of the L- LS series of engines. The kind of power that that these things can produce with, you know, and and then you take turbochargers and throw them in the mix. Brett, Brett, yes. Brett, you oh, forgot and, one. And, and Brett, don't you forgot the one. Hemi and the. <laughs> Hemi. Oh yeah, trust me. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. I was gonna get The, the Hellcat <laughs> and, and the Demon Red Eye and the. Oh my gosh, right? Oh. It's just out. It's just out oh, of yeah, control. Man. So, yeah, and then and now, you know, you take this the factory stuff and you make some minor mods, you tweak the cylinder heads, you do a little camshaft, and you make another 500 horsepower, right? It's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's Put crazy. another big lid on it. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> it's like falling off a log, Well, man. we did that mod motor Ford for Steven when um, no doubt. Steve Matusik, And that was a 327 cubic inch mod motor, kind of a, a, a tall block. D stroke deal, and on Dutweller's dyno, on just on just a a baseline tune up, that stupid little thing made two thousand horsepower. Wow, Oof. and that was with Oof. twenty maybe twenty five pounds of boost. We went out and raced that thing and made thirty five forty pounds of boost and. I know we made 25 2,600 horsepower on 327 cubic inches
0: on gas. That's just absurd. That is just yeah. so wrong. So that just
2: illustrates the what you're saying and makes a, a great point is that that was, that was a stock cylinder head and a stock block. I mean, I did the cylinder head port work on it. We developed a camshaft with comp cams, but. That was that was a stock engine, man. It's crazy stuff.
0: <laughs> no doubt, no uh, doubt. How, how are you guys been keeping up with the fueling demands w- with all these different applications? Because it's wild. Some some tanks are split. Some tanks, yep. you know, are, are big deeper. You know, there, there's so many things going on. We're trying to fuel these cars can keep keep up with that demand. How have you guys sort of met de- that demand on on your end?
2: Well, we're constantly evolving that. So you know, the split tank is what's going on there right is that I mean the OEM got sued into you know what and they had to move the fuel yep. tanks ahead of the rear end when they did that if you have a rear-wheel drive car and the drive shaft has to bisect the gas tank you got two gas tanks man there's no way around that, that so sucks. yeah there's a jet siphon mm-hmm. type of a technology that's used there and it's really cool stuff and we've we've actually got a patented Apex jet siphon pump that we've created that's self-priming. We can use that in a in a dual tank setup if we need to. We can also use it in rock crawlers and off-road racers and off-angle stuff, where we can have a pump in one part of the tank and the pickup from the jet siphon in another part of the tank. And it you could be you know nose up and the pumps in the front of the tank and the jet siphon's pumping fuel to the to the foaming bladder baffle in the front where the pump is so you never run out of fuel. There's just we've done so many cool things, but that's a great point is that modern fuel delivery is more and more complicated. Uh, A lot of this changed in 99 when we went to um, basically EPA, EEC or evaporative emission control standards changed in 99. The OEM had to get away from a regulator on the stock fuel rail and they had to go to a regulator in the tank. Or they had to go to pulse modulated control of the pump to vary the speed of the pump to hit the target pressure. It got a lot more complex, um, and the fuel systems actually took uh, they took a back seat really. I mean, the, the dynamic system pumping fuel to the rail back to the tank is the best way to deliver fuel to an injector, um, but. Um, they had to do what they had to do, right? They had to keep the, the fuel temperature down in the tank. After a 12-hour drive, they had to park the car in a room. They had to measure the VOC off the car. And if it had too much VOC, it wouldn't qualify. You couldn't sell the car in the U.S. So they, they couldn't recycle fuel anymore because they couldn't warm the fuel in the tank because it wouldn't pass, right? So that's that was the whole transition to pulse-modulated control of the pump, to regulators in the tank with the pump, uh, etc., cetera. And... And so now, you know, we have technology that can actually work with all of that if need be.
1: So how do you navigate that? So, right. You've got, um, you know, a couple different scenarios, obviously you got the carburetor stuff, but from a fuel injection side, you've got completely standalone. So you've got an aftermarket controller on whatever engine, and then you've got OE stuff that you can, you know, make work. Uh, well, whether it's, you know, an OE vehicle with OE yep. system, um, you know, and you're doing some upgrades, or you're doing a, you Mm -hmm. know, an OE controller, you know, a standalone LS or standalone Coyote or whatever it is, and you're putting it in a hot rod. So how do you navigate the style of regulator and return or returnless uh, based on, Mm -hmm. I assume, the controller? call them and have them tell you. (laughs) (laughs) You call those guys
0: and have them tell you, hey, I did the same thing like nine years ago.
2: Right. Right. It's you know, it's a it's a matter of kind of getting a feel for the lay of the land as to what the end user wants to do. Um, In some cases, they have the OEM ECU and they maybe have a new harness uh, coming from another company. And it might have the fuel pump driver module built into that harness or it might not. Um, We get some and, and and I, you know, not to beat up on the OEM, but, you know, There's a company that would tell their customers, I won't name any names, that uh, I'll just set the regulator for 72 PSI and just drive it. And if it's a direct injection engine and you're going to set and and when you look at what what really happens in the OEM, they run the fuel pump between 40 and 60 PSI. Ninety nine percent of the time, the only time the pressure goes up to 72 is a wide open throttle. The reason they do that is because fuel pumps don't like to live at 72 PSI constant. Right. Fuel gets hot, pumps wear out, brush and commutator goes out in those motors because they're little in-tank pumps. If you run at 72, 75 PSI, that's all. that sounds good until you have to actually go drive your car like that. So what I'm typically going to ask is, okay, can you put the fuel pump driver module back in the harness? And if you can, we can set something up in the tank that you can pulse modulate to pressure. If not, then let's put a regulator up by this engine, and let's set the pressure for 60. If it's a boosted engine, the pressure will go up to 72 with boost, right? We can do a vacuum boost reference on the regulator. And I know that was one of the questions you wanted to talk about earlier is, what do you do with vacuum and boost? But we can take advantage of that in a bypass regulator to make the pressure go up when we need it to and go down when we don't. Now, on direct injection engines, that really has nominal effect on how the engine runs, right? You have a pump built into the engine that's making two, three, 4,000 PSI, feeding direct injectors, the amount of pressure you feed that pump with is not as critical as it might seem. I mean, on on a eight injector, two fuel rail, PI or port injected engine, fuel pressure in the fuel rail is critical. If it changes and it's not supposed to, it immediately affects how much fuel goes in the engine.
1: Yeah, if you think about your garden hose, right, with the sprayer nozzle, you know, barely crack the valve, with your nozzle fully open and there's your yep. stream and then crank that valve open. And you can see how much flow difference there is. Absolutely. And if your computer is just going off of time, right? How long did you squeeze the handle? It's assuming there's a certain amount of flow that came
2: out. A constant pressure is going to deliver a constant and predictable fuel flow per millisecond of open time. That's huge. And that's a key point. And I like the sprayer, you know, concept because people can get a grasp of, you squeeze it, it's open, it flows. And if the pressure is constant, you get the same amount of flow per second that you hold it. And that's the whole idea is you want predictable fuel flow with a direct injection well, that's engine. the word
0: predictable. Exactly. Exactly. You work with predictable. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And everybody yep. knows that.
2: And that's why, and that's why, by the way, we use vacuum and boost reference on fuel pressure regulators. So this is a good segue for that topic, right? So what are we managing when we manage fuel pressure in the fuel rail as we're managing the inlet pressure on the injector what about the pressure on the outlet side of the injector what's that doing because we have a naturally aspirated engine when we know atmospheric pressure is 14 and a half psi right so when the engine is technically in a state of vacuum at idle and cruise um, it's really just pressure that's less than atmosphere but When that injector opens, if there's a negative pressure in the intake and the fuel rail pressure hasn't come down an equal amount, we have a differential pressure that's changing, okay? If we tag the fuel pressure regulator to the intake manifold and the manifold goes into vacuum and the fuel pressure comes down an equal amount, the differential pressure stays the same and the injected fuel is is predictable. It's the same amount of fuel per millisecond of open time. When we go into boost and we raise the fuel pressure the same amount as we have positive pressure in the intake manifold, all we're doing is making sure the difference the difference between the two doesn't change. So,
1: right. So going back to that you know, squirt nozzle yeah. on your hose, right? If you don't touch the valve and you got it, whatever setting you want and you're squirting it, right? It's going to flow that predictable amount. But now you put some kind of pressure in front of it, like boost, right? You're going to slow down. You're going to restrict how much fuel comes out. Or if you were to pull a vacuum, yeah. more more water would come out of that exactly. nozzle. Exactly, exactly. So would you set up a regulator with uh, manifold pressure uh, for naturally aspirated or only for boost when you're going above a certain horsepower or, or pressure within the manifold?
2: Well, that's a great question. And you want to do both. Okay. Um, you want to actually to do a vacuum and boost reference with the exception of a blow through carburetor. And this is where people get tripped up on, on a blow through carburetor. Uh, basically so we're back to this example of what, what we're trying to do with a, a fuel pressure reference to manifold pressure is we're trying to make the the fuel rail pressure mirror the manifold pressure so they are are tracking with each other. And the difference between the two doesn't change. So we get predictable flow through the injector. Now with a blow through carburetor, we're compressing air through the carburetor into the intake manifold and we're pressurizing the flow bowls through those vent tubes okay those two vent tubes are basically so when we have 10 pounds of air pressure in the intake it's 10 pounds of air pressure between the blower and the in back of the intake valve right and those two vent tubes in the carburetor flow bowls are pressurized as well so we have 10 pounds of air pressure in the flow bowl if we don't raise the fuel pressure an equal amount by the time we hit seven pounds of boost the differential is zero and we're not putting any fuel in the flow in the flow bowl and at 10 pounds of boost we're blowing bubbles in the fuel system right we got it we got to get the pressure to go up to the inlet of the float bowl well if a guy hooks up wait
0: and, and stop that, pause that right there and that's yes. why nobody ever uses blow through carburetors anymore
2: okay proceed yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> and I and I and I I will have to say, and not to correct you, but I know there's a few. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. just got off the phone with a client a couple weeks ago <laughs> who does nothing but blow through carburetors and he made thirty two hundred wow horsepower at the tire on methanol with a carburetor and appropriate okay. charger. All right. All right. Well, he's just showing off. Insane numbers. You know,
0: insane. Yeah, if he can, poof. but, but, he I, I always spend a lot of time dialing that in.
2: <laughs> it, it, well, and, and let me, let me tell you, if you don't have a good carburetor and your carburetor guy doesn't know what he's doing, a blow through carburetor can be a nightmare. Right. And there's a few, there's a handful of really good guys that know how to do it. I'm not going to name names again, but call me if you have a question on that, I can always refer you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's so if you hook up a carburetor, boost reference regulator on a blow through to the manifold the guy will start the car and he'll go drive it and as the vacuum as the manifold goes into vacuum fuel pressure will go to zero and it'll shut off mm-hmm. because okay he's, he's looking like, at should vacuum have gone a fuel injection right? <laughs> right right should have gone, <laughs> should have gone a fuel injection. <laughs> so anyway just a, just uh i'm probably off a topic but hopefully no that man makes
0: it's great that you know All of this, which is why everybody comes to you with problems, was which is why you guys have been kind of the the go to um, when it comes to any of these issues, because so many people wouldn't know that they wouldn't understand, you know, all the, you know, sort of nuances about making it perfect. And that's what we're trying to do, get all these bugs and hiccups and and all these hurdles. Uh, over whistle, we can go drive and ride and enjoy our cars yeah. whether it's 500, 1,000, 1,500 or more horsepower yeah. um, and you guys have been a huge part of that where do people see you and find you socially how can they reach you for some of this knowledge when they have hurdles uh, or a blow-through car situation they need handled right. where do people find well,
2: you um, our website at www.aeromotiveinc.com which is Really, almost overwhelming, there is so much great information there. there's under the tech help section, there's a whole set of frequently asked questions for regulators and fuel pumps. There's technical bulletins which are specific to topics and detailed and and good information uh, there there is a, a power planner where you can actually plug in some of your parameters and it'll help you pick a pump. There's a set of system diagrams for just about everything we make that shows you filters, line sizes, pumps, regulators to help you get all of the system, you know, you know, put together correctly, you can call us, uh nine one three six four seven seventy three hundred, um, and you can dial uh, uh, dial 2 to get directly into the tech department and we've got some great guys here that can answer your questions. I know we have a Facebook page. I'm not the social media guy um and I probably uh, my my people on my end are probably going to kick me in the butt. I thought for sure you were right? going to say you were <laughs> because they're like you should be saying well, I, we probably have an Instagram page. I know we have a Facebook page. Um I don't know a lot about them though. I apologize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you gave us the the need right. to know which is aeromotiveinc.com it's are gonna find all the bulletins all the tech uh and all the info they could ever want or or you could find our show which airs weekends on the motor trend network check your local listings it's also available a motor trend plus which is their streaming format uh thanks to our guest brett uh Aeromotive, Inc. Dot com uh our producer scoop executive producer bob Becker. he's kevin bird and i'm
1: willie b yeah and for other cool things you could check out our website twoguysgarage.com you can share your thoughts with us we're on social we definitely are on social facebook instagram and twitter and i'll tell you where at two guys garage uh this two guys garage podcast it's copyright 2023 brenton productions incorporated all rights reserved all right
0: so Brett, i gotta ask you man um What's the what's the one old school hot rod that you uh, you let go but you still uh, dream you wish you had?
2: 1962 Impala SS. No, oh, oh, four nice. speed. Four speed. Yeah, it was a black car with with uh, bucket seats and a 409. Oh, it was. Man. I oh. never should have sold that car, but it wasn't in great Ooh. running condition when I owned it, and I was a young guy. I was in my I was in my Did late you say teens or 409. 409. yeah. Four speed. Yep. Ooh, oh my god that is a who that's a nice. that's a retire early car nowadays it's a really stupid thing i did when i sold that car you know i had another one another one of my favorites one of my early hot rods was a um let me think here 60 what the hell 66 and po no it was uh i'm sorry pontiac um, it, wasn't a, it was not a, It Le Mans, it wasn't the, the GTO, but it was the six-cylinder inline overhead cam Le Mans with the four-barrel carburetor and the split dual exhaust from the factory. It was a 10-to-1 motor with a belt-driven overhead camshaft. I rebuilt that engine. It was my first engine rebuild in high school. And I used to go out and smoke those 327 guys. They hated me.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> crazy cool. Yeah,
2: it was fun. <laughs> Well,
0: man, thanks for your time and and the knowledge. We'll talk to you again soon. It was an awesome podcast, man. All
1: right. Thanks, Brett. All right, guys, hope you learned something. You know where to go if you didn't catch it all. Uh, But we will catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast.
0: Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.